Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. All right, we are going to get started. So if you did not finish, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about all these answers, hopefully, as we go through the, the lesson together. I did want to hear what some of you said. Uh, for number one, maybe just a show of hands, who would say you have a more difficult time trusting God in major trials versus relatively minor everyday things in life? Who would say major trials? I have a harder time trusting God in those major things. Really? Who's, oh, Maria. <laughs> who, who, who said, uh, on the other hand, I have a harder time trusting him in the smaller things? That's interesting. Yeah. Who didn't answer? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. We'll talk about that in, in a little while and over the course of the book, obviously. Um, number three, would anybody volunteer from your table, maybe a discussion you had, the difference between trusting God and obeying him? Sort of a short answer. Oh, Blake. Everybody's pointing at Blake. What's the, what's the difference between trusting God and obeying God? Oh, that's a little preacher thing there, Blake. <laughs> a, little, a little homiletics course there. Very good. Yeah, uh, obeying is, yeah, that's right. Doing what God says to do and trusting him with what he says he will do. Um, how are they related? Different table, maybe? How are those two related? Well, and, and speaking of, you know, the Names of God series we've been doing, looking at Abraham a lot. Um, in Genesis, that was lessons he had to learn. Right, trusting that God was going to do what he said he would do and not trying to uh, do it on his own, which led him oftentimes to disobedience. Um, number five, did anybody get to number five? Did any of the tables get there? Yes, y'all did? Shonda did. So Shonda, you get to answer. How does knowing God help us to trust and obey him? Yeah, yeah you remind yourself that he's trustworthy and learning about who he is and um, whether it's the names of God or just theology, help us to know who God is. And so as we come to know him, we can obviously trust him and obey him more. So tonight we're going to talk about trusting God and the question, can I trust God? And most of this book is within that, that realm of can I trust God in adversity? Can I trust God in pain and in suffering? Or as I've said, can we trust God when the trials come? Uh, the big things in life, the major things, or the everyday small things. Can we trust God with those things? A couple truths that I think you'll all agree with here tonight. Uh, life is difficult. Life is difficult. Life is wonderful. It's glorious. Life is beautiful. That's a movie. Uh, life is a gift from God. Uh, but we would all be kidding ourselves if we did not say also life can be and is oftentimes difficult. And adversity, trials, things that we face in life, Pain can be sudden, uh, an unexpected phone call or an unexpected accident physically or some sort of emotional or mental breakdown that just kind of comes out of nowhere. 
Um, we, we all have been in those places where trials and suffering and adversity just kind of come out of nowhere, and it's there. And it's almost surreal, you know, after it's happened to think, man, just five minutes ago, just an hour ago, or just this morning, everything was normal. And then in the blink of an eye, a phone call or, you know, I'm thinking about Brent over here. He was nodding his head. I know what he's thinking about. <laughs> Just like that, you know, your thumb's gone. Or something else happens in your life. Yeah, uh, it can be sudden. Adversity can also come slowly. Uh, whether it's just the slow trickle of a, of a trial or trials or just... Uh, maybe a situation at work or a situation in the family, one of those things that tends to snowball, and it doesn't immediately start off with the boom, here's the big thing, but it just sort of unravels day by day, month by month, sometimes year or decade by decade, and it inflicts pain and suffering on all those around us or even ourselves. Um, When we experience pain, when you think about the different realms of pain, pain can be personal. We experience pain. Um, Something happens to us or to our family, or to our minds, or our spirits. We experience pain in our person, okay? And that's physical, emotional, mental, all the above. So I'm not just thinking about one type of pain, but suffering, trials, adversity of any kind can be personal. But we also bear the load of the pain of others, as we should, okay? It's it's one of these sort of modern pop self-help things that tells you not to worry about others. Uh, That's satanic, (laughs) not to worry about others, okay? So the Oprahs and the self-help folks of the world that would say, you worry about you and don't worry about other people, that's that's not biblical, and it's not what Jesus tells us to do. We are to love our neighbors. We are to bear one another's burdens, especially within the body of Christ. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Also weep with those who weep. So part of being a Christian, especially being part of the local church, is to bear the pain of others. So in addition to our own pain, personal, individual, private, there's pain that we share with others in bearing those burdens, going through those trials, weeping with them. Not to mention the pain we see in the world. Maybe people that we don't know. As you watch the news, uh, the events in Israel and Gaza or Ukraine, or we think back in history to the Holocaust or other travesties in world history, we think about the immense amount of pain and suffering and death that the world has seen, people that we don't know. So personal, those around us that we know, family, friends, coworkers, whatever it is, and then even outside the world, uh, the things we see that that bring that pain and that burden on us. Now, one of the important things to remember as Christians is that we as God's people are not immune from pain. We are not immune from pain. One of the lies of the prosperity gospel is um, the health and wealth aspect that says that you should expect health from God. You should expect healing from God. And and, and some of the the prosperity gospel folks go beyond just expecting it. Maybe that's an okay word, but demanding it. Uh, And so you get into the nitty-gritty of word of faith or prosperity gospel teaching that says God can't do anything unless you say it with your mouth and believe it with faith. And that's part of that cult of the word faith teaching, the, the video, the TV, most of the TV preachers that you see are influenced by this. And there's this idea that God owes you as a Christian healing, or God owes you health and wealth and prosperity, and that you should expect that and maybe even demand it from God. 
When we look at the Bible, let's turn there to Romans chapter 8 while we're thinking about it. Romans chapter 8. Let's see how Paul talks about Christians awaiting the second coming. Romans chapter 8. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 18. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. All right, so just stop right there. This is the Apostle Paul clearly having known suffering, clearly telling Christians that they will know suffering. Otherwise, verse 18 would make no sense. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that we revealed in us. Verse 19, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. That's language of slavery to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Paul goes on to talk about how we as believers, along with all creation, are groaning for that liberation. When Christ returns, the sufferings are over, the glory that is coming is finally revealed, and all is made new. Paul says we groan for that. Creation groans for that like a woman in childbirth. Okay, Most of you have been there at some point in time. I've been an observer four times, and that's some groaning. Right? That's some noise. Um, Paul says this is what it's like to be on this side of glory with the sufferings and the trials and the pain of this present life waiting for the life to come. And so Paul does not paint a picture of ease and comfort, of all health and all wealth and all, all prosperity. He paints a picture of suffering and trials, sickness, and death. But the good news is, he says, it's not worth comparing to that which will be revealed on the last day. But while we're here, Paul says Christians are not immune from pain and suffering. And the question this raises for us so often in our pain and suffering is this simple question, where is God? Where is God in the midst of war and famine? Where is God in the midst of something as awful as the Holocaust? Where is God uh, in my daily life? Most of us said we have a harder time trusting him in those smaller things than in the bigger things. So where is God in, in, the, in the small things in life, uh, in a car accident or uh, just problems in your family, your marriage, your children at work, whatever it is. Where is God in those small things? Okay, we can, we can confess all day long. Yes, we know heaven is coming. We know the new creation is coming. All is going to be made new. We'll be set free from our suffering and trials. But what now? Is it just about waiting till then? Or is there something that's supposed to be happening now in my relationship with God? How does the knowledge of that and what God promises is coming how does that influence where I am now? Where is God now? Okay, we Christians are really good about heaven and the end times and eschatology and dying and all that stuff. But what about in our everyday trials? Where is God in those things? And so that theme question for tonight, can I trust God, I think, and the book says, comes with two answers. One, if the question is, is he dependable in times of adversity? Most of us, I think, would say, all of us, I hope, would say, yes. Just like last week when we said, is God, is in, is God in control? Everybody says, yes. 
But remember last week, that next question, in control of what? Is there anything he's not in control of? What does that control mean? So we can all say, yes, God is dependable in times of adversity. But what does that mean? And I think the next question the author asked us uh, kind of informs a little different part of the answer. Let's ask it this way. Do you have such a relationship with God and such a confidence in him that you believe he is with you in your adversity, even though you do not see any evidence of his presence and power? It's one thing to say, is God in control? Oh, yes. Two thumbs up. Is God dependable? Is he faithful? Yes. But let's talk about the details of that. What about in that intense period of suffering, sickness, trials for you, a loved one, the world, whatever it is? And the question comes, where is God in this? Do you still trust him to say, even though I don't see his presence, and even though I don't see his power right here, right now in this situation, here's how you know, do you trust God? Do you have such relationship and confidence with him and in him that you know he is there and he's working anyway? That's a little different question than just, oh, is God faithful? Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, what about this? Is God dependable? Absolutely. What about in this situation? Uh, and this really reveals whether we trust God or not. It's one thing to say we trust God. It's a really Sunday school answer, right? Yes, I trust God. Yes, he's faithful. Yes, he's good. It's another thing to put feet to that in the middle of suffering and trials, even the most unimaginable suffering. To say, I don't see God in this. I don't, I don't know where God is in this, but I trust him. And I know he's working for his glory and for my good. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's look at one verse together. Ask some questions about this verse. The Old Testament, especially the poetry and prophecy section, give, give us a lot of questions uh, on some things that we just kind of have always thought. And one of the things we've always just kind of thought by default is that um, God just makes everything uh, bright and rosy and happy and warm um, and anything bad or what we deem bad, that's got to be from Satan only, not from God. And so we kind of have this, if we're not careful, this sort of dualistic approach to the universe, that there's a good God, God, and there's a bad God, Satan, and they're kind of duking it out on equal terms, trying to defeat each other in our lives and, and the universe. And that's not the Christian view at all. It's not the biblical view at all. In fact, the biblical view, it might be a little confusing to you because in the book of Job, we see Satan having to ask God's permission to bring the trials that he brings upon Job. And it's not until God says, yes, you can do that, that Satan can do it. And so we have to sort of rethink sometimes our view of, you know, does God only do good? Is the, is the devil only doing bad? Uh, how, do we, how do we look at this? Look at what Ecclesiastes says in chapter 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God... Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Who can make straight what he has made crooked? And so in the context of our conversation, can you trust God even when he makes things crooked? 
And the author was talking about things that are crooked in his life, a particular physical ailment that he suddenly had, one of those sudden onslaughts of pain and suffering and trial that he wasn't expecting, wasn't looking for, yet here it is. God has sent something crooked or not what we would consider straight, not what we consider good into his life. And the question is, can you trust God even when he makes things crooked? Can you trust him even if you don't understand? Now, I understand that when I say the word can, uh, I'm, you might think I'm talking about ability. Of course, we, we can trust God. He is dependable. Of course, I can trust him in the bad times. He's faithful. The question, though, is for you individually. Can you, when things are, quote, crooked in your life, even in the small things, can you still trust him? He's trustworthy, but that's not what I'm asking. Can you still trust him in those crooked things? Can you still trust him even when you don't understand necessarily what he's doing in that moment? The traditional uh, gospel song we sing sometimes, Trust and Obey, I think takes us um, to this next theme of trusting and obedience. And per that one question in your discussion, sometimes it is harder to trust God than to obey him. You think about that? Sometimes it's harder to trust God than to obey him. Why is that so? Well, God's moral law, what we call his moral will, is revealed in the Bible. So for most things that you might struggle with in terms of is this right or is this wrong, how do I obey God? There are very simple passages in Scripture that teach us what is right and what is wrong. Um, you know, we talked about the will of God in the book of Romans and, and how I talked about the will of God is not some sort of mysterious thing that he's withholding from us that we have to find out. We have to hope that we're in it. Uh, no, the Bible reveals God's will as simply doing what he's revealed to you. So if you want to know God's will, remember Romans 12? If you want to live as a living sacrifice and know his will and worship him, where does Paul start? Service in the local church. Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Loving your neighbors. Submitting to authority. Those things come as a result of knowing God's will and doing his will. So I'm not talking about those mysterious things. Who am I going to marry? Where should I go to college? What is my career? Most of us are past that point. Or whatever lies in the future. And we're talking about knowing God's will is simply, can I know what he wants me to do? And in a very simple way, absolutely, because it's revealed in Scripture. Obeying God, in that sense, not always easy, but it's easier to understand obedience than it is to understand trust. Because trust deals in the realm of the unknown. Whereas the Bible and Scripture and the Holy Spirit say, here is what you should do, this is obedience in black and white. Trusting God deals with taking that head knowledge from Scripture, applying it to your heart, and using it in times of the unknown, whether it's adversity or pain or suffering, or just times when something is unknown, like the future. You know, you talked from Psalm, um, what Psalm was that you read? Psalm, Proverbs 27, verse 1, about the future being unknown, but it's known to the Lord. This is why Paul says that we walk by faith, not by sight. It's one of those Christianese things we just kind of throw out there, but if you really think about it, that captures the heart of trusting God. We do not walk according only to what our eyes see. We don't walk according only to what our senses can interpret to our brains. Um, otherwise, we'd be captive to our circumstances. 
We'd be captive to our suffering, wouldn't we? But in spite of our suffering and in spite of our circumstances, we do not walk according to those things only. We also walk according to faith. Now, what is, what is the biblical word for faith? Anybody know? Trusting. It's to trust. It's the same word. Uh, sometimes I think we think faith means sort of this kind of blind believing something, which there is a little bit of that unknown to it. But faith is not jumping into the unknown or closing your eyes and jumping into something you don't know. Faith at its very root is trusting that God is who he says he is, trusting that God will do what he says he will do, and trusting him with your life, trusting him with your soul, trusting him with your eternity. That is biblical faith. And because we can trust God in everything, down to our very souls and our salvation, because he's trustworthy in those things, we can therefore learn to obey him and walk according to his will. I want us to look lastly tonight at just three simple truths uh, coming from the book and coming from our, our thesis tonight. Number one, God is completely sovereign. Now again, this is one of those that we say, yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is in control. Yes, God is uh, the ruler of all things. Well, what if we word it this way? Nothing happens outside of God's will and outside of God's decree. Many of us might be comfortable with a, maybe an altered version of that. Most things happen according to God's will and God's decree. Now, what, what about that cemented statement? Nothing happens outside of God's will and God's decree. Let's look at just a few scriptures uh, to back this up, and there are many more, but let's look at just a few. So, uh, turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Right after the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, the book of Lamentations, which is what it sounds like, a whole book of lament. Because Jerusalem has fallen, God's people are taken to captivity, and so Jeremiah devotes this whole book to sorrow and lament before the face of God. Let's see what he says there in uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 37 through 38. Would someone volunteer to read that for us? Barbara, read loudly, please. I, I don't know if... I, God probably doesn't operate like this. But it seems like sometimes when God was speaking through the prophets and he was revealing these things, uh, he knew how we would think in the year 2023, 2024. He knew how we would think, and he thought, you know what? I'm going to put this in here just to blow their minds in 2024. Because those two passages, those two verses, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord had commanded it? You know what he's saying? What happens outside of the Lord's command? Nothing. Verse 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? You say, Pastor, explain that. I can't. And the prophet didn't try. He's just listening to the Lord and saying, okay, this is what God says. Let's turn to John chapter 19. Uh, Gospel of John 19. In the midst of Jesus' trials, 
And on that note, if you ever want to just really get to the heart of God's sovereignty, God's providence, and God's goodness in the face of suffering and trials and death, I mean, you need to look no further than to the Lord Jesus, especially to those last uh, days of his life. And you see the tension between God's goodness and God's love and God's sovereignty and his control, bringing all this to pass in the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is one of those statements here in John chapter 19. Um, can someone read verses 10 through 11 for us? John 19, 10 through 11. Uh, Judy, yes, loudly, please. Now, see, Pilate says, Jesus, don't you know? Don't you speak to me? I have the power to release you. Or to crucify you. It's kind of up to you whether you're going to talk to me or not. And Jesus then does talk to him, doesn't he? He says, you don't have any authority at all. Unless it had been given to you from above. He says, so the real culprit here is not even you, Pilate. It's God. It's my Father who has handed me over to you. And this is his will. And so just in those two little snippets we see. And I know it just boggles our little minds. It's okay. It's okay just to say, I don't understand that. I don't either. It's, we see right there together the goodness of God and the severity of God. In the book of Lamentations, is it not God who speaks both good and bad? In this, these final moments of Jesus' life, was this not a sin that he was betrayed, that he was beaten, that he was tried, that he was crucified? Is that not sin? Absolutely. Whose plan was it? God's. No clue. But that's what the Bible presents us, and it doesn't apologize for it. Right there, side by side, man's actions and sin and God's goodness and his sovereignty. Number two, God is infinite in his wisdom. And because God is infinite in his wisdom, God's wisdom and will are not for us to judge. Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 11. On our Reformation Sunday, we preached through this uh, this last section of Romans, this, uh, Romans 11, the doxology, starting in verse 33. We end it every Sunday in verse 36, from him, through him, and to him. But down in verse 33 is where it begins. Uh, can someone read just that verse, Romans 11, 33? How inscrutable. How inscrutable. You know what that means? You can't look at them and judge them. They're, they're beyond your searching out. They're beyond your ultimate understanding. God's ways, God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's plans. You know Isaiah 55, verse 9. We don't even have to turn there. As soon as I start saying it, you're going to know it, even if you don't know where it's from. For my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's God warning the people, quit trying to judge my actions. Quit trying to sit in judgment over me. Isn't that how Paul addresses the, the critic in Romans 9? Uh, the critic who would say, well, if, if it's all God's will, down to our very salvation, then who can find fault with him because it's all just his will? And Paul says, who are you, O oh man? Who are you to answer back to God? Shall the pot say to the potter, why have you made me this way? And yet, don't we so often try to do that? To help God out in his judgments. To sit back and say, I don't know why you did that, God. That was not the right thing to do. Even if we won't say it with our mouth, how often do our hearts and our minds and our actions uh, betray that's, that's what's really there? 
God's wisdom and his will are not for us to judge. Thirdly, God is perfect in love. And we know this because God is working all of it, all of it, for our good. You don't have to turn here either because you probably know it by heart, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good, those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And what is that ultimate good? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed into the image of Jesus. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified, as if it were already done. That's God's love, revealed in how many things? All things. All the things that happen to us, good, bad, ugly, trial, suffering, joy, sorrow, whatever it is, in all of it, God is working for our good to make us like Jesus and to bring us to himself. And so those things, although sometimes they seem to be intentioned to us, God's sovereignty, God's wisdom, and God's love, they're not in tension within the character and the person of God. There is no tension there between his wrath and his grace, between his sovereignty and his love, between his holiness and his mercy. He is all those things in their fullness at all times and all places perfectly because his name is what? I am that I am. So as we look at the character of God and as we look at what it means to trust him in all things, we can learn to trust God then in the midst of pain. If we know that he is loving and we know that he is wise and we know that he is sovereign in how many things? All things. Then even in the pain, we can learn to trust him. We can even learn to glorify God in the pain. Isn't that what the apostle tells us? I rejoice in my sufferings. How many times, how many, when's the last time you rejoiced in your suffering? I, I can't tell you the last time I was just in the midst of suffering and I just rejoiced, but that's what the Bible commands us to do. Why? Because Paul knew, knew James knew, that this is making something in us that we could not make for ourselves. It's crafting us into the image of Jesus. It's making us more holy. It's whittling away the old man. It's killing parts of the old man, and it's resurrecting that new man within us preparing us for glory. We can glorify and rejoice in God, even in the pain. Lastly, we must know God to trust God. So we talked about at the beginning, knowing God, trusting God, obeying God. It must start with the knowledge of who he is. He's revealed himself to us in his word, and this is why we as a church impress upon you the need for Sunday school, the need for small groups, the obvious need for all of us for corporate worship and the preaching of God's word and Bible studies like this and personal Bible study on your own and listening to sound preaching and teaching and sound worship music because it leads us to know who God is. And, and sure, yeah, we, we, we talked about head knowledge tonight. It must go beyond head knowledge, absolutely. It must go beyond just what's up here, facts and reading the books and understanding the words. Listen, but it has to start there. We have to know who God is. We need to know sound doctrine. We need to know biblical theology in order to know who God is. And as we come to know who he is, we come to know him. 
by faith. And as we come to know him by faith, we can therefore learn to trust him. And as we learn to trust him, we can better obey him. The author says this at the end of the chapter, God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. God always wills what is best for us. He knows what is best. And because he is all-powerful and sovereign, he always brings it about. As you uh, read through the next two chapters, I think the, the next week, it's chapters two and three. Let me make sure I'm right on that. Yeah, for next week, chapters two and three. So if you need a book, uh, come get a book and sign up to, to pay for that somehow and come by the office or pay online. Uh, we're going to be building on this foundation, okay? knowing who God is, obeying him, trusting him. We've got to start there with those three simple things we, we began with. He's sovereign, he's wise, and he's loving. And if we say, okay, that is who God is at all times, all places, to their perfections, in his perfection, then I can trust him. And this isn't going to be an instant thing either. You know, it's not like you can read a book or do a Bible study or have some sort of encounter with God and immediately just trusting him is just so easy in all things, big and small. This is a process and and never will be perfected until we're with him in heaven. But he's called us to follow him and to obey him and to grow in our trust of him. So as we go through the book and the study together, let's build on that foundation of God's sovereignty, God's wisdom and God's love. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us, and thank you for revealing yourself in your word. Thank you for uh, speaking in a way that we can understand you through your word. Thank you most of all for revealing yourself through Jesus and seeing him and watching him suffer and die for us. We can nevertheless see that balance of your goodness, your wrath, your anger, your mercy, your love, your holiness, your grace. God, we see all that in the person and the work of Jesus. Help us in our trials and our sufferings and our afflictions to look to him and to rejoice that we are able to suffer with him because we're being made like him. God, in all things, point us to your goodness, point us to your love, remind us of your love, even in the midst of pain and sorrow. Remind us of who you are, our Father. Remind us who we are as your children. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.